0: I'm humbled this morning as we talk about persecution and suffering for the gospel. I'm humbled because I've got no idea what suffering you've gone through as a Christian. Reality is I just have no idea what suffering you've gone through as a Christian. Maybe some of you have gone through physical abuse, maybe from some of your families when you first accepted Christ. Maybe you've been shamed or disowned by family members. Maybe you've been out sharing the gospel and been, physically, and been physically attacked. That may be true of some of you. For many of us, I know that we've been left out of social events, kind of a less costly. We've been maligned by our friends, teased by coworkers, sometimes cruelly ridiculed by family at holiday gatherings, passed over for promotions at work. Others, others of us have been mocked because we believe what God's Word says. We believe what God's Word says about men and women, about what God intended for sex to be between a man and a woman and for marriage. We've been maybe mocked because we believe what the Bible actually Says about creation, about all kinds of miracles, about the virgin birth, about the resurrection of Christ, about heaven and hell. How did you respond to that kind of suffering? And I don't know what kind of suffering you've gone through. I just know that Timothy three twelve is clear: all who desire to live a god to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, how did you respond to suffering? Maybe at first you felt like the apostles in Acts 5. You rejoiced that you'd been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. It was actually hard, but also thrilling, as your soul was reinforced that you belonged to Jesus Christ. But how do you respond when that suffering continues year after year? That's really what the Philippian church were going through. When Paul first brought the gospel there, he immediately suffered. Now, it was 10 years later that Paul was writing to the same church. And the book of Philippians doesn't tell us. Church history doesn't tell us. Was it nonstop suffering that they were going through? We don't know. But they were definitely going through suffering at this point when he was writing to them. Last week, we saw how Paul called the Philippians to live worthy of the gospel, to live worthy of the gospel. And we looked at three characteristics of that worthy living. That they were to be standing together in one mind. They would be striving together in one spirit for the faith of the gospel. And that they were to be staying alert, knowing that opposition was coming, that t- they could expect it. Today in Philippians 1, to 30... Paul provides comfort to the Philippians in the conflict that they were facing because of their commitment to Christ. So we're going to look at the comfort that Paul gives to them as they were going through the suffering. So let's, let's read together Philippians 1, 21 to 30. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and in join the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents. And here's where we see some of the comfort he gives, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, And now here to be in me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, preserving this letter that you penned through your apostle Paul to the church of Philippi for our benefit. And we thank you for the comfort we're going to see this morning uh, as we go through suffering for Christ. And we pray, Father, for those who are currently going through suffering, currently being ostracized, currently being mocked, that are in it right now, Lord that they would be comforted. We know your word promises it. We know that we are here going through that. And so we pray for your comfort, really for an eternal perspective, for a sense of fulfilling our calling. And Lord, we pray, Father, for those who have um, resisted suffering, kind of taken themselves out of this um, task of striving together for the faith of the gospel, that we would be emboldened by this morning's message from your word emboldened, uh, knowing that we are going to find great comfort as we are all in for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to look at three comforts that Paul gives to those who are suffering for the gospel. So we're going to look at three comforts that Paul gives to those who are suffering for the gospel. The purpose, that I hope, and even as I just pray, is that Some of us will persevere in our boldness, that we'll look at the comfort that God gives to us, and that we'll be encouraged and restored and refreshed to keep going, to be comforted, to persevere in boldness. For some of us, though, I pray that God will use his word that we'll join in striving together for the sake of the gospel. That the prospect of suffering would not be an excuse for us, not to do loving things by saying hard things to those who don't know Christ. So first, the first comfort we're going to look at is conflict. And, and, and really, the, we're going to look at that conflict is evidence of your destination. And so when we talk about conflict, we're not talking about any kind of conflict. We know we go through many conflicts. If you're married, you maybe have daily small conflicts. We're not talking about any kind of conflict. We're talking about conflict that we are involved in because we want people to become worshipers of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the opposition to the gospel that we face. That, that, that conflict is evidence of your destination. And that's what we're going to see here first in verse 28. So Paul is, is talking here uh calling them about worthy living in verse 27 that it's standing firm in one's spirit so not giving up with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel working hard so that the gospel goes forward in no way alarmed by your opponents and then he says which is a sign of destruction for them but of salvation for you which is a sign of destruction for them but of salvation for you now, that which there is referring to Paul's command to live worthy in a hostile world by the standing firm and the striving together and this not being alarmed. It was going to function for the Philippians as a sign. It was going to be evidence to, for them. It's going to be proof for them, a demonstration for them. Now, if you have the, the ESV Bible, it kind of sounds like it's evidence for for. For others, The ESV says this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. Now, the Greek is difficult here, but I think that the, the, the New American Standard makes it a little, a little bit more clear. I'll read that to you again. Which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. The sign here is for Christians. It's evidence for Christians that they are saved, that they belong to God. that that they are saved, but that God's opponents are going to be destroyed. Suffering is confirmation of our eternal destiny. Now, we see those same uh, confirming effects of persecution in other verses, like 1 Peter 4.14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You can be encouraged if you're going through suffering. The Spirit of glory and of God rest on you. So be encouraged. Or 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 4 through 5. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God. This is Paul writing to the Thessalonians. For your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure, the Thessalonians were being faithful in this of persecution. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. So that as we go through suffering, it is an indication that we indeed belong to Jesus Christ. Now, there are ways that we can go through, through, through suffering. In, in the book of 1 Peter, which is written to people going through suffering, Peter uh, warns them, uh, you can go through suffering for bad reasons. You can go through, 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 through suffering and we can imagine uh, that maybe some, sometimes we as Christians might suffer or maybe you see Christians suffer because they're just being, being obnoxious and rude. Or maybe they're getting in trouble at work because they're, they're talking while, uh, while on the clock and they know that their company doesn't allow that. We can go through suffering for doing things that we know we ought not to do, for breaking laws and all kinds of things. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about the suffering that they go through in obedience to Christ. So, and I don't know if you've ever had this this experience. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone and been heartbroken at their rejection of it? And yet at the same time, thrilled because you believe it. Have you ever experienced that joy? It's this weird joy of being heartbroken. How can they turn away from this good news? And yet at the same time, you're like, but I believe this more than anything. I would die for this. This, this, this is my life. And when we see opposition to the gospel, when we're engaged in that conflict, it is encouraging to our souls. When we, we suffer, we are reminded that all this that the Bible says is true. That we're engaged in really a supernatural conflict, a supernatural struggle. That heaven and hell are real. That Jesus Christ did die for sinners. That he is exalted. Ephesians 4, 6-12 talks about some of the struggle that we are engaged in. You guys know this verse. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Talking about demonic rule and satanic rule, that that that, that is part of the struggle that we're engaged in. Second Corinthians 4.4 4 kind of expands on that idea in whose case the God of this world, talking about Satan there, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That the God of this world has blinded sinners. Ephesians 2, 1-3 joins us in that that was once who we were. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, again, according to Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. When we're engaged in sharing the gospel, and we see really an uncanny opposition to it, you know, people who would love to think of themselves as very tolerant become very intolerant. People who would love to think of themselves as coexisting and very peaceful all of a sudden become violent. I've seen that, and, 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 and you may have seen that too. Even on Facebook, you can see, and maybe it's even easier to, to see there. I've seen teenagers uh, just really saying very, very gentle things about Christ and and their friends threatening or their friends or friends of friends threatening to beat them up you know there's this discrepancy in the world there's this blindness and that becomes so clear when we're engaged in the gospel it's less clear when we're not engaged in the gospel when we're not striving together for, for the sake of Christ for the faith of the gospel all that it just becomes it just becomes safer and gentler and a little more murky. First John 5 19 says, "We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The fact that that is true outside the world lies in the power of the evil one. It may be true of you still here today if you do not know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You are in the power of the evil one." Colossians one thirteen. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Praise the Lord for that rescue of being transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. But that's how humanity is divided up. Either we are in the domain of darkness or we are in the kingdom of his beloved son. And what's so sad is that those who are in the domain of darkness, they seem happy there. And they hate us for being part of God's kingdom, being aligned with their creator. And that comes through when the gospel is preached. Often that does not come through if the gospel is not preached. And again, this is not because we are better. This is only because of God's grace. We know that we were once right there. Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That is who each of us were before Jesus Christ, right? Right? That was us. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, when we are involved in, and we are having those gospel conversations, and we see this, is, this, is, this doesn't make any sense to them, or we see animosity, and we see rejection. All of a sudden, our hearts are confirmed, and we love the fact that we are saved, and we're blown away by God's mercy, and that he's rescued us, right? And, and it just becomes all so clear again, as so we're talking to someone, and we remember, I used to be that blind, I used to be part of the domain of darkness. I used to be that lost, but that's not me anymore. And that's what Paul's talking about. It is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. The line has been drawn. You know, at the uh, 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 train station across the street, there is a safe and an unsafe line, right? There's big yellow lines. And I uh, sit in my office and work during the week And every once in a while, I hear the voice saying, get on the other side of the yellow line, right? Do not cross that line, right? That line there is a good thing. On one side of that line is safe. On the other side of that line is destruction. That voice is warning, get on the other side of the line. That's what the gospel does in our hearts. We rejoice, I'm safe. I'm on the other side of the line. I'm not on the train tracks. I used to be there, but I'm not there anymore. And we should be sobered by this. You know, this is not just kind of some happy dance we do in a gleeful way. I'm not going to hell. Right? It is amazing. It is glorious to know it is a sign of our salvation, but it is also a sign of their destruction. That is eternal, eternal destruction and, 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 and eternal destruction of those who are still blinded forever, who are still shaking their fist at God, who wouldn't repent if they had the opportunity, who would still try to be saving themselves. Their hearts haven't changed. Being in hell doesn't regenerate you. It is forever opposition to God. As we think about that, there are those of you here this morning who are on the wrong side of that yellow line. You are on the train tracks. I'm certain that some of you are. And if not inside here, there definitely are on the other side of this wall. Many children who are on the wrong side of that yellow line. And that's not even to think about the lost world. I mean, if we were just to imagine for a minute and go over to that train station, inside those yellow lines, the train tracks are filled. And it doesn't matter how loud that horn is being blared, or the rumble on the tracks, or the bright light flashing, the God of this world has blinded them. And they just keep staying there, even though destruction is coming. That's what it's like to be the domain of darkness. That was who we were before Christ rescued us. And that is who they are now. So Paul's immediate application here is to comfort us. It's a sign of our salvation. But I think we also can be challenged by this. It is a sign of their destruction. So what are we going to do about it? What would you do to save one person from an oncoming train? Would you jump in after them? Would you beg them to get out? You know, the, the announcer across the train track is saying to people, get out, stay on, get on the other side of the line. Get saved. Be safe. See, if you are on the wrong side of that yellow line, if you are on the train tracks, God's judgment train is coming. It is coming. The amazing, amazing truth of the gospel is that Jesus stood on the tracks in our place and took that full brunt of that train and came back to life so that we can be saved. You can be saved. This is the good news. You may hate the fact that I'm saying you're on the tracks, that's a sign of destruction, but of salvation. You can be saved. You can't be saved by doing community service. You can't be saved by being a good person. You can't be saved by coming to church. You can't be saved by praying a prayer. You can't be saved by praying to any gods that you want. You can only be saved by running to Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel, right? That all who believe on him will be saved. So we need to take that gospel and warn the people who are on the wrong side of the yellow lines so that they can be saved. Eternal destruction is coming on them. We can feel the rumble. We know it's coming. The horn is blaring. We should be that horn. They may not like it. We're going to be comforted as they don't like it because we know I'm on the right side. Even as we plead with them, get on the other side of that line. Put your faith in Christ. The people people on the tracks are surrounding us. We live next to them. We have them in our families. They're in the cubicles next to us. So what will loving them look like? What if someone came in here and said, there's someone on the train tracks? How many of us would run out? A ton of us, right? We'd all go out there and say, get off the tracks. You're going to be destroyed. So what does love look like for our neighbors and our family members and our coworkers? So say, get off the tracks and run to Jesus. Turn to him and be saved. What's the worst that can happen to us? You know, when we're opposed for the gospel, when we're retaliated against even, when we go into that conflict, we're going to be encouraged. It's heartbreaking, but it's also encouraging. There's this sweetness to it. And why? Matthew 5.10 tells us why. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we're persecuted, when we're engaged in that conflict, we know we are happy, eternally happy, because the kingdom of heaven is mine. We are not of this world. We are not blinded anymore. Mark 8.35 encourages, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Are you saved? It is because you lose your life for the gospel's sake. So let's get out there and let's push some people off the tracks, right? And you'll be and comforted. You'll be comforted. You'll be comforted because you'll know what your destination is. You'll have that affirmed to you. You'll also be comforted because conflict is an evidence of God's grace. It's an evidence of what our destination is. But our second comfort, it's also an evidence of God's grace, Paul continues in verse 28 really with the second comfort. So I'll start again in verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So when Paul says, and that too from God, what is the that they're referring to? It doesn't just, it's not just referring to salvation because, and we could read it that way. The Greek, it's, it's, it's not best. It could be, but of salvation for you and that too from God. Well, we know salvation is from God, but that's not really what, what he's talking about here. It's this whole scene. This this striving together, this faithfulness in the midst of conflict, this being engaged for this gospel, this living worthy of the gospel. It's the whole scene here. The Philippians must not doubt that God is sovereign over their suffering. He says, and that too from God. The opposition is not chance. The conflict is not an accident. The, the difficulty in gaining ground for the gospel, the fact that this is hard, is from God. See, the opposition the Philippians were facing is an inseparable part of God's plan. And that's true of us also. Now, no doubt, the Apostle Paul understood this when he was imprisoned in Philippi 10 years ago for preaching the gospel. And we're just kind of, kind of guessing 10. It's, 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 it's close to there. It's why, after being beaten with rods, he could be imprisoned in singing, right? Singing hymns while being imprisoned. He's not panicking and saying, whoa, I thought Jesus was king of the universe. What just happened? Right? He's totally confident and this too from God. If that's true of Jesus Christ, then Acts 2.23 says, That Jesus was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. That if Jesus' suffering was God's plan. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is God's plan for us. This opposition to the gospel, this conflict, this fact that striving together for the sake of the gospel is hard comes from God. Now, I understand that we are have an incredible freedom in America. So I think we have to be careful not to have guilt about being in America. We shouldn't feel guilty if we're not persecuted like the early church was. Right? We don't have to be embarrassed that we don't suffer like much of the rest of the world. Persecution is from God, and that too, from God. He will give out persecution as he wishes. He and his sovereignty has put you here today in a country where there's incredible freedom. God also is good enough and big enough that he could have you in a country where there's much less freedom, right? He could give you, and this is a great thing to pray, say, Lord, do you want me to? He could give you a compelling desire to proclaim Christ, to serve Christ in another country. But right now, today, you are here. So don't feel guilty because you're not being persecuted like the early church was or persecuted like people around the world. But I do think we have to ask a question. Is your location keeping you from conflict or is there some kind of lack that's keeping you from conflict? Is it location that's keeping you from opposition or is there a lack that's keeping you from opposition? Do you lack Love for Christ that overflows in speaking about Christ? Do you lack a love for Christ that overflows in speaking about Christ? Do you lack love for your neighbors to warn them and plead with them to get off the tracks? Do you lack faith that God is still saving people? Do any of you think that the full number of elect have been saved? No. God is still saving people. Do you lack a willingness to suffer? We don't have to be guilty about our location. If God wants you in a different location, he will compel you. I trust God. But we should be concerned if maybe... It's because of a lack. It may be because of our location. We're not going through as much persecution as some people. Or maybe we're not going through as much persecution as we once did when first coming to Christ. I know that our relationships change. We surround ourselves primarily with those who know and love Christ. We spend a lot of our time with Christians who naturally are going to persecute us less, I hope. But it may be because we're avoiding it. It may also be because we're just too busy chasing the American dream. Maybe we're too busy chasing success and safety and security. Maybe we're too busy chasing comfort and entertainment, education. Maybe we're just not facing conflict because the gospel, and maybe because lost people have been marginalized out of our schedule. If you're not suffering for the gospel now, today, I think it's a great question to ask, why not? Is it because God hasn't sent it or because you're avoiding it? If you are suffering, though, we know that suffering is from God. Now, it's almost as if Paul then kind of prevents this from being too blunt, right? I mean, he's not uncaring here. He says, you guys are going through, you know, which is a sign of destruction for them, salvation for you. This is from God. Just man up. No, he encourages. Listen to what he says next. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. He really brings us to God's character of being gracious. God has granted. He has freely given. He has gifted And if you are in Jesus Christ today, if you have heeded the warning, you know how much of a gift this is. We've already seen some of that this morning in contrast to who we were before Christ. That we had our eyes open. We saw our desperateness. We saw our inability to save ourselves. We saw the beauty of God in the face of Christ. We ran to him. We knew that he was our only hope. See, believing in God is a gift from God. Romans 8, 7 through 8, talks about who we were before Christ. Talks about how the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That is who we once were, hostile to God, unable to please God, unwilling to please God. But Ephesians 2, 8 talks about this gift of faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That faith is from God. It is God's gift to those who are saved. He has given us faith. John six forty four to 45. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's Jesus talking. No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Meaning that God has to do that work. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is the gift of God. The fact that we believe that he is our life, that we come to him as the bread and as the resurrection and as the way and the truth and the life is because of God's grace. It's a gift. Now, if we appreciate that gift of God, if we understand it's God's character that gives us this gift, wouldn't it be foolish to not receive other gifts that God gives? Right? If the same God who gives you faith and says, here's faith. I've got other gifts for you too. Are we going to say no? I don't want the gifts that you've given me. We, we 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 write in care groups this fall from Romans eight, verses thirty one to thirty two. What then shall we say to these things, If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son? but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God doesn't hold back any good thing from us. He's paid the extravagant price, the pricelessness of his own son's blood. There's nothing that we could ever compare to the gift of Jesus Christ. So if he gives you all that, we know every gift he gives is good. He only has good gifts for us. We learned about prayer. God is a good God. He doesn't give scorpions and snakes. So suffering on behalf of Christ, that's what Paul says here, is a gift. For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It is a gift from God. Now you might be asking, well, how is this a gift? In what way is this a gift to us? And so I've got some ways that this is a gift. We've already seen that it's a gift because it's an evidence of our destination. The fact that we are saved, that we've been rescued from destruction. We have already talked about really in a sense, it's an evidence of God's grace. But it's also a gift because those who suffered for Christ belong to Christ. And that's what the apostles got uh, uh, after they were flogged by the Sanhedrin in Acts 5. Verse 41, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they'd been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They got that they were suffering for Jesus' name, so they rejoiced that they were considered worthy. They belonged to him. They were known by the name of Christ. They were treated as Christ would have been treated, for saying what Christ would have said. He bore our sins and now we get to participate in his shame. When we don't deny him, when we suffer along with him, we're encouraged because we know that we belong to him. His name is our name. We belong to Christ. So that's one of the things that we get from this gift of suffering. We know that we belong him, belong to him. We also, it's also a gift because when we suffer for Christ, we know the power of Christ. When we suffer for Christ, we know the power of Christ. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, the Apostle Paul says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. That's what Jesus said to the Apostle Paul. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We see the blessing there of persecution. We get to see the power of Christ when we are kind of like on the verge of tapping out and saying, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. I can't take the opposition. The conflict is crushing me. Then we get to see what, how strong Christ is. We get to see Christ's strength. We get to know his power so that we persevere and we continue on. We don't get to see that in the same way if we don't enjoy this gift from God. We also can enjoy this gift. It is a gift because those who suffer for Christ will be rewarded by Christ. We get to look forward to reward from Christ. Luke 6, to 23 says, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. This is definitely an age where these things are increasingly happen. Ostracize, insult, and scorn you for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Now, don't leap for joy because you're like, this persecution is awesome. I've got to get me some more of that. No, the reason why, he says, is because your reward is great in heaven. For the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets, you're in great company. The prophets are enjoying heaven now, and you're going to enjoy it too. That's one of the gifts of persecution. We get to look forward to that future reward from Christ. It's also a gift because those who suffer for Christ are going to be transformed. And this is true not just of suffering for Christ, but of all the tribulations, the trials that God puts us through. Romans five three through five says, and not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations. We boast in them. We cling to them. We say, yes, I'm going through hard times because, not because they're fun of themselves, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And that is a blessing that we enjoy. We get hope when we go through tribulation, when we go through persecution, when we go through suffering for Christ. Our hope is refined. We cling to heaven more. We are changed in this life. But also, it is a gift because we're gonna be confident that we're gonna be glorified at Christ's return. So suffering is, is a gift. And we, we already talked about, it encourages what our destination is. We see this grace, but then it's a gift because we know that we belong to Christ. We know the power of Christ in our weakness. We're going to be rewarded by Christ. We know we're going to be transformed in this life, but also we're going to be glorified at Christ's return. Romans 8, 16 17 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. It's encouraging. We go through suffering because we look forward to that glory. Paul's language is so clear. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. The two come together. It's a package deal. It's good for us. If we don't suffer, we're missing out on something. Now, I'm not saying we should go out and be obnoxious so that we can try to get some suffering. But put yourself out there for the gospel. Don't be afraid of conflict. If we're not suffering, it's kind of like there's unwrapped presents under the Christmas tree. And this in the middle of summer. Right? Don't you want the gifts that belong to you? Now, we have to have a tremendous faith in God to believe that. To believe that suffering is an unwrapped gift if we're not going through it. Right, but that's what Paul says here, and this is from God. This is His His goodness. This is a gift from Him. Now, maybe we're thinking, well, maybe this gift was for the was for the Philippians. You know, the present was signed from God to the Philippians. Maybe it doesn't say to Cornerstone Bible Church there. Well, we looked at some of these verses last week, and I think that they're good to remind us of Paul talking in uh, Acts fourteen twenty two. He went he went through the churches saying. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 3 and 4. You yourselves know that we've been destined for this, for indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. 2 Timothy three twelve. I open with this. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. In Matthew 10.22, You will be hated by all because of my name, but as the one who has endured to the end will be saved. See, that gift of suffering does not just have the Philippians' name on it. It has our name on it, too. The testimony of Scripture is clear, that those that God gives faith to he also gives suffering to. Are you someone who's been gifted with faith? Then you've also been gifted with suffering for the sake of Christ. This conflict that we're engaged in is evidence of our destination, of our salvation. It's evidence of God's grace. And our third comfort that Paul gets to here is the conflict is evidence of your discipleship. Conflict is evidence of your discipleship. We can kind of take verse 30 as a throw, as a throw, as a throwaway almost, you're experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. When I was there, you went through it, and now you hear I'm still going through it. But we have to ask, why does Paul say that? And he's encouraging them there. Now, this word conflict, and I've been using it again and again, it's a struggle. It's a fight. It could be used of athletic games, or it could be used of a military battle. It's the word that we get our English word agonized from. The conflict that the Philippians were going through was the same. It was identical to what Paul had gone through, and, and, and that word is the same. Were they going through the exact same two years in prison that Paul was going through in Rome? Were they going through that same flogging? You know, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what the Philippians were, were, were going through. Maybe they were being beaten and thrown in prison. Maybe they were uh, uh, ec- economically ostracized. Maybe they were being slandered for upsetting the Roman way of life. Maybe they were mocked for not participating in their old sins or given a cold shoulder at family gatherings. It doesn't tell us what kind of suffering they were going through, but it was the same that Paul was going through, because they were involved in the same struggle, in the same conflict. They were fighting the same war, although on different fronts. Now, twice in this letter, Paul calls on the Philippians to follow his example. In Philippians 3.17, he says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Philippians 4.9, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul encourages them twice in this letter, follow his example. But here, Paul says, you're already doing it. You're following my example. You're going through the same conflict you saw in me, and you hear is now in me. They were in good company. They were on the right path. They, they were engaged in the battle for, for people to be saved. See, they had learned from Paul what it means to be a Christian. And to be a Christian means to be engaged in conflict. Really, there's lots of conflicts we're engaged in as a Christian. Really, it's a, it, 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 it's a theme in Paul's letter. In uh, 1 Timothy 6.12, I'm not going to go through all the verses there on your notes. First Timothy 6.12, Paul says, Fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith because you believe you're going to be engaged in conflict. Sometimes that's a conflict against our own internal sin. Sometimes it's a conflict against the lies of this world system. Sometimes it's a conflict, as we see wrestling against the prince of the power of the air, of the, of, of, of the whole demonic world with its lies. Paul went through a conflict for the growth of the saints. In Colossians 1.29, he says, For this purpose also I labor, striving, again, agonizing, being in conflict according to his power. And that p- power there in that verse is about presenting other saints mature in Christ. But there's also a conflict in proclaiming Christ. I, you know, the same word is not used in 2 Timothy 2.10, but it's such a powerful verse, such an insight into Paul's heart. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, for the sake of the, the elect in different version, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Why does Paul go through all of this stuff? Why is he engaged in this conflict? Because he knows there are people who are going to be saved. He suffers all things for the sake of the elect so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. That's the conflict that Paul was involved in in Philippi when he first went there. That's the conflict that Paul had been engaged in again and again. He was currently engaged in in Rome. And Paul was engaged in this conflict because he was like his master, Jesus Christ. He was a slave of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 10, verses 24 to 25, Jesus says, "...a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master." It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. And then Jesus talks about the persecution he went through. If we are going to be like Jesus Christ, we are going to be persecuted. We can't be like Jesus Christ and not be engaged in this conflict. See, to be engaged in this conflict, and this is the third comfort if I didn't say it, is to be a disciple. We can be comforted because we are a disciple. Paul was saying, you guys are my disciples. You're doing good. You're being like me. And Paul was a good disciple of Jesus Christ. If you're in conflict today for the gospel, if you could think of relationships at work that are strained because of your compassionate proclamation of Christ, relationships with family members that are strained because of the gospel, you're in that conflict. You are being a good disciple no, maybe if you're not in any conflict, I can't say absolutely you're not being a good disciple, but I think that we should ask and saying, am I being like Jesus Christ? Matthew 10, 34, verse 39. These are sobering words from Jesus, so unlike the picture that the world presents of Jesus. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Of course, Jesus came to save people, but, there's, but the gospel message is a sword. It's a dividing. It's yellow lines. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and her daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. If you're holding on to your life, if you're avoiding conflict because you want to be safe, the warning is you'll lose it. Deep down at the most basic core, if you avoid the gospel, because you, if you are avoiding the conflict, if you're not engaging and sharing the good news of Christ because you're afraid of opposition, you're holding on to your life, and Jesus' warning is so serious, you'll lose it. It's a demonstration of those who don't know him, not of those who do know him, but those who lose his life for my sake will find it. And Jesus is very aware that losing your life for the sake of Christ is going to result in conflict, even amongst your own family member. I know some of you have gone through that. But now, after going through that, it's not time to shirk back. It's time to still be a disciple. It's to still be like Jesus Christ, to be suffering all things for the sake of the elect. So this morning, you can be comforted if you are engaged in this conflict you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ and Paul's can use that phrase later sharing in the sufferings the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ you're being counted worthy of Christ you're becoming like your master one who lovingly patiently gently says hard things and proclaims good news you can be comforted because God is giving you this good gift of suffering You can be comforted because you know that your destination is heaven. But it's also possible that maybe you've been shrinking back from conflict. You've been avoiding it. Have you been avoiding the awkwardness of someone knowing that you really believe the Bible is God's word? Have you taken yourself off the path of suffering for the sake of the elect? Just like, well, if God's chosen them, he's going to save them. Are you sitting on the sidelines of this conflict instead of in the ring? Are you just a spectator in the crowds rather than running this race? Are you fighting the good fight? For some of us, it may be time to get back to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that is going to mean that we are engaged, loving people and speaking truth with them. So, and I've challenged this before, look for an opportunity to love and pray for an opportunity to speak. Even begin there. Say, Lord, I'm totally willing. You say you've you've given me this gift of faith. I know I'm yours. There's this other gift of suffering. Maybe I'm not experiencing a ton of that right now. So, Lord, simply give me an opportunity to speak your truth. Help me open my eyes so that I can see where I should speak truth. Give me and help me to know how to love my neighbors, how to love my coworkers in such a supernatural way that, that, that they want to, to know why I am the way that I am. Some of you already are facing conflict. You're in conflict here today. This message is full of comfort. You're comforted because you are a disciple. You know you're losing your life. You know you'll gain it. You're comforted because you know that you are receiving God's grace in his fullness, not just faith, but also suffering. And you are comforted because you know what your destination is. You know that you have crossed over. You know that you have eternity to look forward to. You have salvation. There is reason to be comforted in the midst of your conflict. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we talk about suffering and persecution, we think about what Paul went through. Uh, we think about what many in the world are going through. Uh, we've, we, we've heard uh, stories again and again of uh, the persecution that's going around the world. So there's this certain uh, just humility we have when we talk about uh, suffering. Lord, our concern is not... Uh, I guess, what kind of suffering that you give us, but whether we're being faithful. So Lord, we do want to be faithful. I pray, Father, that our hearts would yearn to be faithful, that we would be good disciples of Jesus Christ, that somehow we would learn to be disciples of Paul. And, and, and I know that we see in him is that there's this unquenching passion to see you glorified in people being saved in the elect, in those you've chosen coming to the knowledge of Christ. So Lord, help us to not be satisfied with the glory that Christ currently has. Help us to be ambitious, Lord. And I know, Father, that this is an age, I sympathize, I feel it, Lord, where Christianity has been so just marginalized and people don't wanna hear about Christ. At least that's what we think of many people. I pray, Lord, that you would give us, give us boldness, help us to use the resources you've given us to love to even perform supernatural acts of love that would leave a lost world scratching their heads, how we've been, been. Why are we so different, Lord? But I pray that we would we would speak to those who are facing judgment, Lord. Help us to have that boldness and that compassion and that zeal for Your glory, and Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters that are here this morning, going through that conflict, Lord, and uh, maybe even even dreading the next family dinner because of the, the jabs thrown at them about being yours. Lord, I pray that they would find real comfort from this passage today, Lord. I pray, Father, that their salvation would become so certain to them that they even those, those family gatherings or those episodes at school or at work would just be so authenticating in a sense that, that they know you. And may they come away rejoicing, counting uh, to be counted worthy of suffering for your name. Lord, I pray, Father, that they would be encouraged in their discipleship, Lord, that they would be encouraged about this grace gift from you. So please, Lord, bring them comfort. And I pray, Father, for others of us that we'd be jealous of that comfort, that we would want more of that comfort for ourselves, that conviction that you're going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servants, because the way we've stewarded the gospel you've given to us. Lord, help us to be faithful. We can't do any of this apart from you. Lord, your word is powerful. I pray that you use it to transform us. Lord, we do want to see your elect come and be part of this church. We are eager and zealous to have stories of us sharing the gospel and you saving people. Lord, we are confident that you still are and we ask uh, for the salvation of more of your elect. In Jesus' name, amen.